Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, the place to experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys, that visitor is me, that dimension is called Dunaree, and I have lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. Not only do I wish to share the story of how I survive in Dunaree, I hope my experiences and how I was taught to understand this world may help you build your own unique secondary world. In this episode, I tell you how I was taught to navigate the City of Bones by using landmarks to build a mental map in my head. I explore how to understand the city better by creating a mental map. And the strange but true tells about a mysterious and ancient city map that inspired the construction of a replica city based off that map. There is a growing list of potential show sponsors for the Insider World Building podcast. The sponsors I've chosen this week fit well with the show's team. And it also gives me the opportunity for revenge. So, here goes. This episode is sponsored by the Shroud Guides. Shroud Guides offer the most discreet and professional guide service in the City of Bones. No part of the city is unknown to them, they claim. Well, that's an absolute load of crap. I hired these people once. Their rip-off guide led me to the wrong part of town, claimed I'd given him the wrong address, and said he'd leave me there if I didn't pay him extra. If you ever find yourself in the City of Bones, never, ever hire these people. And if I ever meet that guy again, well... Okay, it's better not to dwell on my personal grudges. But let's move on with things. In episode 7 of season 1, I was introduced to the concept of map-making in Dunaree. This involved me mapping out Ganhik's compound by using elements of the compound as visual reference points. My map-making education continued when we began taking morning walks around the neighbourhood. Not only was I supposed to get my head around everything, I was supposed to take mental notes on how to navigate the city. Like I said many times before, for security purposes, full maps of the City of Bones are illegal. I wasn't allowed to even take my pencil and paper with me. I had to memorise everything. Not that I really complained, I was only too happy to get out and about. And even better, Steincat said she was too busy to show me around, so she assigned a ghost cat called Number 20 to be my supplementary guide, along with Shiny Top. Don't get me wrong now, I like Steincat. She just talks too much, mostly about herself. The few times I had been out with her, I'd learned more about her problems than I had about the city around me. Although number 20's head was as misshapen as a rotten orange, there was a good reason she'd be my guide. 
You stand out as a visitor, Steincat had said. This may attract thieves and the like. But number twenty's so ugly, she'll scare them all away. So nobody will annoy you. As the days passed, I got to know some of the jewellers. The lady who had given me the bracelet was called Obaya. Her daughter was Bettini. And the ghost, who was Obaya's great-grandfather, was called Hamnet. I visited them each morning. It was a great place to prepare my mind for the further weirdness in the nearby streets. Odbaya's workshop became a kind of halfway house between Ganthuk's compound and the city. The first thing about the city I learned was that there were no street name signs. But everybody knew their way around anyway. The second thing I learned was to keep clear of the little tree-wheeled delivery carts that buzz about in all sorts of chaos. Powered by some kind of battery, their drivers would run you over if you got in their way. And the third and most important thing I learned was that it was impossible to describe everything. Despite shiny top and number 20's explanations, my mind couldn't handle one tenth of half of it. Of course the Judas district had lots of habitations, warehouses and other constructions apart from jewellers' places. But I only focus on the different exteriors, namely the odder and larger bones that I could use as reference points to build my mental map. While Gannuk's compound and some of the other buildings were tall, the streets around the seventh relic compound rarely rose higher than four storeys. They were so narrow in places, the sky was barely a blue slit above them. Shiny Top said that the city contained 16 districts. Each district was composed of multiple localities, all of which surrounded a relic. The different localities were marked with different coloured totems. These tall bones usually sat at intersections, and each held symbols of the businesses, houses and buildings close by. The only direction signs in the place were animal skulls. These skulls had no connection to the city's bones, and they'd been altered to provide directions. A half-broken horn pointing down a side street meant a dead end. A red stripe on the half-horn meant that a pedestrian tunnel led out of the dead end. Skulls with open mouths meant true roads. Skulls without a lower jaw meant an underground entry. Glass eyes within a skull indicated a public space usually a water garden. Those eyes freaked me out. No matter from what angle I looked at them, they always seemed to stare back at me. Gradually, I started to learn my way around. I learned that if I went down the street along a line of silversmith premises close to Gandog's compound, turned right at a giant cracked femur, turned right again at a small skull with a broken horn, and a red stripe on it, I'd end up at a dead end, with an underground tunnel leading out of it that would bring me back to Gannon's compound. It was starting to make some kind of sense. Even the best of us get confused, Shiny Top said. Each district has different skull signs too. It's all so very, very random. They've been trying to standardise it forever. I didn't worry too much about this. I had already decided I'd never find my way around anyway. 
And besides, to escape back to the interdimensional gateway, I only needed to know one good way out of the city. The only standardised signs in the city were the illuminate, yellow footsteps painted onto the cobbles. These led to the underground storm shelters. They were spaced out, like somebody had put paint on their feet and sprinted along to mark them. These, Shiny Top said, indicated haste. You're supposed to run to the storm shelters. I was grateful that most of the people we met looked like normal people, and the few weirdos wandering about weren't much weirder than what you'd see wandering around Dublin on a sunny day. And if I was in any doubt about the similarities between the humans in the City of Bones and the crowd back home, those doubts vanished when we encountered a protesting crowd. Along one street, we saw a building shrouded in mist. Actually, it was only half a building, and judging by the speed with which the ghostly figures within the mist were hammering away at the rest of it, it would soon be a space instead of a building. An agitated crowd of young people had gathered nearby. They were waving wooden signs and chanting some kind of gobbledygook. Occasionally, some piece of fruit flew out of the crowd and into the mist. It looked like fun. What are they protesting about? I asked number 20. But number 20 just mumbled something about not hanging around. I actually wanted to join them. After all, I had more to complain about them, I figured, and pelting a few rotten apples was a good way to let off steam. While Shiny Top thought it was a good idea, number 20 steered me away from the protesters. She said that it would make Gantham look bad if the city guard grabbed me. I spotted Bettini in the crowd. She was waving a board with a building sketched onto it. The following morning, she told me that the younger inhabitants of the district wanted newer, trendier buildings constructed instead of the same tired old designs. Yes, I thought. I definitely had a better reason to pelt rotten fruit at someone than they did. Once again, it was hard to focus on everything, but some standout landmarks that I started my mental map with included the Sweet Bridge, a bridge spanning a dry riverbed. The bed was crowned with tall, wavy plants, heavy with red and yellow vegetables that resembled bell peppers. Number 20 told me that when the river Elvoth dried out in summer, the locals grew vegetables on its bed. Apparently, the sediment the river carried from the Wherton marshes was highly nutritional, and the vegetables grew fast and big. Then there was the vendor skull. This enormous skull could be found 130 paces from Gannett's compound. It sat alone in the middle of a big street, and was cracked in so many places it surely would have collapsed if it hadn't been coated with a web of vines. Then there was Grufus Hole. This timber-constructed hole is 50 metres downriver from the Sweet Bridge. During the summer it's used as a depot for the residents who plant the riverbed. The rest of the year it's a warehouse of lodgings for the river transport people. It is one of only three fully timber-constructed buildings in the 7th district. I could write a book about my first days exploring, but I never will. If I publish too many details about the city, the city guard might consider me a spy. 
I could end up in one of the most notable and notorious landmarks in the city, the undersea prison. And believe me, that's one landmark I really, really don't want to see the inside of. And now a bit of context on how I learned to mentally map out the City of Bones. Creating a city map is a fantastic way to engage and exercise your imagination. You draw it out and fill it with avenues, parks, castles and lots of other interesting things. But how well do you actually know your city? Imagine yourself standing in the middle of that city and somebody comes up to you and asks you for directions to a certain place. Could you tell them how to find that place? While maps are great, most of us rarely carry maps around with us when we're in our local area. We don't need them. We already have a mental map of the place. A mental map that helps us navigate using landmarks and other places that are important to us. So, do you know your city well enough to give directions by using landmarks instead of a map? Whether it's London, New York or the Emerald City, exploring the landmarks is the best way to understand that city. Ancient cities had no grand maps to guide visitors about. The inhabitants walked everywhere, using landmarks as guides. And most of them never went anywhere they didn't need to go anyway, so they didn't need a map. And because full maps of the City of Bones are illegal for security reasons, I was taught to build a mental map of the place using landmarks as reference points. Now, you might think that a city made of bones has enough distinctive features to easily build a mental map. Not really. After a while, the bone formations look similar, forcing me to focus on individual landmarks. So how do you create unique individual landmarks for your city? Why not begin with artworks? Unless all the artworks in the city are completed by one artist, you will have artistic competition, usually over the city's lifespan, thus leading to an extraordinary and unique set of features throughout your city. And how can you get inspiration to develop these features? Take a personal guided tour of any city centre, or take a bus of the whole place. Study city tour maps. Where are the interesting sites? Are they mostly historical or cultural sites? Or are they sites like parks or squares that signify unique moments in the city's evolution? For fun, create a guided tour to explain your secondary city. For further inspiration, study city tours and tourist bureau websites of exotic foreign cities. Or study archaeological maps of abandoned cities. Note the highlights. Ask yourself why those highlights are there when they were created, who created them, and why they created them. Unless you take a specialised city tour that only deals with murder sites or ghosts, or the homes of the rich or other such things, most city tours will give a good general view of the city. Nothing is random in the city. Everything, even the broken things, have meaning. As you are building your city map, you will also get great ideas to build your city's history too. Think about how different city quarters have developed due to immigration into the country or internal migration within the country. 
there's not a city in the world that hasn't been shaped by these movements of people. Can your city's landmarks demonstrate culture? For example, a culture of war. Rome's Trajan's Column is a fantastic example of this. It is a freestanding column, famous for its spiral baths relief, depicting the Roman victory over the Dacians. And think about how your city's cultural evolution has created landmarks. For example, the tallest structures in a city used to be the church spires. Now they are the skyscrapers that house banks. Can you demonstrate cultural shifts in your world in a similar way? And have fun. Get lost in your city. See what you find. And if you don't live in a city, find some ancient sites near where you live. Visit them, study, and, if possible, learn what they were used for. And see how you can incorporate this site into your otherworldly city. By combining real, local things with your imagination, not only will you create more associations between your secondary world and this world, you'll engage your audience in a more meaningful way too. Just don't beat yourself up trying to describe every little detail of a landmark. Often, a few hints is enough. Your audience will only be too happy to use their imagination to fill in all the rest, which will in turn lead to an even greater engagement between you and them. This episode, Strange But True, tells the bizarre story of the Roystick map. Maps are normally created to outline and detail existing places. They're useful things, invaluable to travellers. And while it is illegal throughout much of Dunree for a fully detailed map to exist, only one documented case of a map existing before what that map portrayed even existed has ever been recorded. That map is known as the Roystick map. The origin of the map and the identity of its creator is unknown. It appeared over 250 years ago in the possession of a wandering trader who offered it for sale. She claimed to have bought it from a spirit who told her that the map proved the existence of a legendary city called Roystick to be found deep in the wilderness forests of Falael in southwestern Sevenote. Actually, prior to the map's appearance, no legendary place called Roystick had ever been spoken of before. But the story grew. In the minds of many, the town of Roystick became a real place, a fantasy town, where the inhabitants lived a splendid, protected life. After all, it was reasoned, if they could survive and fall they certainly had something going for them. So, as with many legendary places, the usual crowd of oddballs, adventurers and opportunistic business people set out to find that place. And as such things usually end up, many didn't return, and those that did brought home savage tales of horror. This was not entirely unexpected. The southwest of Sevenote is a savage place. But the story wouldn't die. The Roystick map was too detailed, too real, and too intact to be ignored. It had to portray somewhere. The narrative about the Roystick map shifted from where Roystick existed 
to when it had existed. Eventually, the Exploration Guild intervened. They tested the map and concluded it was over a thousand years old. Could Roystick have once existed and been destroyed and forgotten? Maybe it wasn't even in Falayel. This idea took an even greater hold among segments of the population. Geographical studies of Sevenoat were performed. Ancient sites throughout Sevenoat were analysed. And eventually, if decided that Roystick had existed at a spot which was conveniently close to the City of Bones. And, just as conveniently, the story of its original location was forgotten. All of this talk was fueled by property developers who saw an opportunity for profit. They rebuilt the town exactly like the map. The property developers advertised it as the perfect place to live. After some initial scepticism, people flocked to live there. Property prices rose. It became one of the most prosperous satellite towns of the City of Bones. Say that people are happier there. As for the original Roystick, well, whether it existed or not, nobody really cares about that anymore. That's it for this episode of the Insider World Building Podcast. Next time I will talk about how isolating another dimension can be. I discuss how the process of world building can be isolating and how to build atmosphere using that isolating experience. And the strange but true tells how the Levun Guild attempted to create an isolation experience spell to help their guild members relax. Once again... This podcast is sponsored by one of the greatest bunch of cheats in the City of Bones. They're called the Shroud Guides, and you'd be better off hiring a cockroach as a guide instead of that lot. Bye for now, or as we say in Dunery, Dreyavik. Hello, the Gracian town, my jet, Asian issue, and some of the world rage. He's the return here, and he's the only one of my eyes. Beat them, Sting, ditch the Dinkit. The white beach blind is what's in the steel and again was in the search of the living man who was chosen.